so we're continuing in Romans, as we said. We're on to chapter 14. It's the whole chapter. And it considers this idea of weak Christians and the strong Christians, as they call them, the opening verses. Um, and it's referring to the, the level of faith that they have. Um, those who are weaker in faith, those who are stronger in faith. And it appears that um, there were some differences of opinion in, in whether or not the customs of the Old Testament, of the Jewish law, still applied to the Christians. So there were some disputes going on and, and perhaps some, um, some unpleasantness coming from that. And, and Paul is, is really instructing them and us how to deal with these differences. Um, and how to how to live and serve alongside each other when these kinds of differences come to light. So it's the whole chapter, and we'll begin just by reading the whole chapter. So Romans 
church members or who are part of the church, um, it tells us how to live and serve alongside each other. It tells us how to deal with differences of opinion on God's things. And it reminds us that we're ultimately accountable to God and not to each other. It teaches us that we have a responsibility to spur each other on and not to put stumbling blocks in each other's way. And it also tells us to hold fast to our Bible-based convictions and our conscience. So we'll, we'll just have a look at a few of those points this morning as we, as we go through and see what we can take from it. So to begin with, as we said, um, there's this idea of weakness and strength. Those whose faith is weak and whose faith is strong. So what does Paul mean by this? Is he condemning some for having weak faith? Is he saying that some of them were better than others because they had enough faith to, to be able to eat whatever they wanted? Well, there were clearly some among um, the churches who were entrenched in their Jewish ways. And they'd become Christians, undoubtedly. They believed the gospel and they were doing their best to, to serve God and to spread the gospel message. But clearly they, they had a hard time of letting go of the customs that had been so important to them all their lives. Now, Paul says that he was convinced in his own mind that because of his faith in Christ and because of what Christ had done, um, that was enough. There was no need to keep these, these rituals and these, um, these ideas of clean and unclean foods because his faith in Christ allowed him to eat all things and he, he believed that all things had become clean because of Christ. Um, so... He said, in a sense, those who didn't believe that had a weaker faith because they were still reliant on the idea that they needed to um, adhere to these rules and these customs that, that were, were Jewish. So in a sense, they hadn't fully grasped the idea of what, what it meant for Christ to come and do away with the old way of things, the old covenant. And that's the first thing that we can take, is that, is that when Christ came and when he died for us, um, and when he brought in the new covenant that we read about in his word, he's done away with the old things. So we can be confident, can't we, that the, the old covenant and the old way of um, Jewish customs doesn't apply to us anymore. And Paul says that those who were stronger in the faith had got a grasp of that already. So they knew that they could, they could, um, they could eat whatever they wanted without worrying about the old Jewish customs. So there were some who, who were of the weaker faith who who felt they had to stick to the customs, and then some, like Paul, were fully convinced that through Christ the old law had been fulfilled. But it's important to note that Paul isn't talking about good or bad Christians, or even right and wrong Christians. And perhaps that's, that's a temptation for us when we read this chapter, to think, well, who's right? Who, who's Paul saying is right? What's, what's Paul's verdict on this? But Paul isn't concerned with that at all. If we want the answer to that, it's in verse 20, where Paul, Paul says that all food is clean. And he says that because Christ declared it clean um, when he was on this earth. But that's not what Paul's concerned with. Um, this passage that, that Paul's writing in is about how to live and serve together in love, um, even if there are those who disagree with us. It's about how to, how to lovingly respect that and how to lovingly deal with differences of opinion. So for this reason, Paul starts in verse 4 by reminding us that whether we have strong or weak faith, we only stand because of Jesus. Verse 4 says, um, To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. 
That's something that's important for all of us, whatever our position, however long we've been a Christian, however strong our faith is, um, we stand in Christ. And it's something that we've been considering in Romans already over the past few weeks and months. None of us stands on our own righteousness. None of us stands because of our um, obedience to any kind of customs or any, any rules. But we stand in Christ alone. Um, as our hymn said, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. So whether we're stronger or weaker than others, we only stand because of what Jesus has done for us. <clears throat> so to, to emphasize that point, this issue of strong versus weak faith that Paul is talking about, it's not about delivering a verdict on that. It's about living and serving together in love. And we're all servants of Christ and our righteousness is through him alone. So, um, moving on to the, the context of the passage, there were clearly differences of opinion between these two groups. And each of us, we know, don't we, that we have our own differences of opinion. There are things that, um, there are, things that are clear in God's word and we should be striving to, to seek out God's will in his word all the time. But there are some things, perhaps which are less clear, and perhaps we'll, we'll have disagreements on. And it's legitimate to have those disagreements with each other. But it's about our attitude when we, when we come to disagree and about how we arrive at our, our own conclusions. So the, the issue that we have is on one hand, if someone disagrees with us and we feel that perhaps they're in the wrong about something, we might feel that it's our duty to correct other people when we think they're missing something that's in God's word. So is Paul telling us not to do that? No, I don't think so. We'll see in a moment that that's not what Paul's doing here. But on the other hand, if we, if we don't take the opportunity to um, correct people and to try and reason with people, we're simply leaving every disputed issue up to individuals, aren't we? If we could just say to, to each other, well, you think that, I think this, we don't need to discuss it any further. It's just a simple matter of leaving everything up to the individual. The problem with that is it takes us into the realm of everything is then subjective. So sin, righteousness, God's will, scriptural teaching, it all becomes, as people often say, a matter of interpretation. And that leads to the idea that everyone's view is equally valid. And in a sense, that does away with what God wants, doesn't it? So how do we reconcile these two things? On the one hand, we want to teach each other and help each other. And on the other hand, we, we want to respect each other's views on things. Well, there's, there's a couple of points that can help us with that. The first thing I think we need to, to say when we have these um, disagreements about things is that God's word is absolute. Um, Paul in this passage is not talking about things which are absolutely laid out in God's word. He's talking about a new issue for the Christians of that time. And both groups are doing what they think is right and what they think they've, they've gleaned from, from God's word. Now, we have the benefit of the complete Word of God, don't we? We live in a, a time when we have the full New Testament available to us. We have it in our pockets. We have un, unlimited access to it. So when we come up against um, a moral dilemma or just a disagreement of some kind, we have um, an opportunity and a responsibility to do our best to discern what God's will is. And we can do that through prayer, through reading His Word, and even from asking others for guidance. So that's, that's the first thing to remember when we have a, a difference of opinion with someone. God's word is absolute, and that should be the reference point for us. 
That should be the standard that we go back to. So perhaps we've consulted God's word and we're still not quite clear on something and we still have a disagreement with someone else. Um, The second thing that we can see in our, our passage is that we're to teach with humility, but ultimately leave the accountability to God. So as we've said, Paul is not dismissing the idea that we can teach or correct each other. Um, in, in Acts, we have the example of Priscilla and Aquila, who were um, a married couple of, of Christians. And we read that they, they taught the word of God to Apollos. And it says they taught it more adequately. So there's, there's clearly a sense there that this um, early disciple Apollos um, had not quite grasped um, something about the word of God fully. And Priscilla and Aquila were able to teach him more adequately. So it's clearly a, um, a biblical principle that we should be teaching each other and helping each other to, um, to overcome difficulties or, or perhaps um, misinterpretations of God's word. And it's a simple fact, isn't it, that sometimes we just, we just misinterpret the will of God. Perhaps we need help from his word to see it more clearly. Perhaps we just need someone else to explain it to us. And Paul isn't forgiving, isn't forbidding that. We read in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, a well-known verse, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So again, we have it there, there that we're meant to be teaching each other. We're meant to be guiding each other based on God's word. We're meant to be resolving um, disagreements and disputes as far as we can based on God's word. So, yes, we're to teach with humility, but we're to leave the accountability to God. So that means then that if someone has prayerfully considered God's word on a matter and is fully convinced, that's a phrase that we read in verse 5, being fully convinced in their own mind. We'll we'll touch on that more later. If someone is at that stage where they're fully convinced on their, um, their understanding of God's will, then we have no place to look on them with contempt or judgment, do we? Um, we've read in our passage that we're each accountable to God. And verse 12 says, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So it's not for you or I to, to hold someone to account and to, to look on them with judgment or contempt. Why aren't you doing it the way I'm doing it? Or why, why don't you see things the way I do? That's not our place. We're to teach and to, to guide each other as, as best we can. But ultimately... It's God who will judge and God who will, will give an account or, or receive an account from us of our, our lives on this earth. So perhaps when we feel compelled sometimes to persuade people that our way is better, sometimes that's good and necessary. But sometimes um, we know, don't we, that this serves no purpose other than to cause people to stumble. And it can be the case, sadly, that someone who was once joyfully and effectively Serving God could be seriously discouraged over something that um, Paul describes as, as a disputable matter. So just a reminder for us not to be, to be quarrelling, as it says in verse 1, not to be quarrelling over disputable matters, but simply to, to um, teach in humility, but ultimately to act in love. <clears throat> so let's be willing to reason with each other, but ultimately respect each other's views and leave the accountability to God. Because we know that being of one mind, as we often say, doesn't require us to agree on everything, but simply to, to be serving together and to be um, striving to please God as best we can as a, as a church. 
So we've thought of God's word being absolute. We've thought of the idea of teaching with humility, but leaving the accountability to God. And then finally, in this, in this um, context of disagreements and resolving them between each other, we're to act in love. <coughs> if we look at um, verse 14 of our reading, it says, If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. We've got to be careful with that because it's not an argument for subjectivity when it comes to sin. As we've already thought, the scriptures have to be our absolute standard on that. But I think that the sense of the verse is that when one person's conscience compels them not to do something, we're to act in love and we're to respect that. And then as we go further down in um, those verses, we read that powerful phrase that says, Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Um, to me that says um, if, you're, if you're consumed with this, this issue of, of eating and drinking as some of these early disciples were you have to ask yourself is it worth it? Is this disagreement or this um, campaign that I'm pursuing worth it? Because as, as Paul says later on um, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we've got to ask ourselves with, with our disputes and the things we disagree with. Um, is our responsibility to force that onto other believers? Um, is that respectful of their freedom in Christ? We each have freedom in Christ, don't we? Is that respectful of their freedom in Christ to force our views onto someone else? And ultimately we know that love for our brothers and sisters will always be far more important than forcing any kind of point of view onto them. Um, so, to sum up that point really, I think we can say that our sense of entitlement can be damaging to others, but we must keep it in check and always make sure that we're acting in love. Whether we disagree or whether we agree, we must always prioritise acting in love. So, we've considered the idea of weak versus strong faith. We've thought of um, how to manage differences of opinion between each other. But another key part of, of the passage that we've read is that Paul speaks of being fully convinced in our own minds. So if we do disagree with others, if there are issues where we're not, um, we're not in full agreement between each other, um, it's important to ask ourselves, why do I hold the view that I hold? And why do I take a particular stance, perhaps on something that's, that's um, disputed? Because I think if we do that, sometimes we can find that our view isn't actually based on God's will at all. Perhaps sometimes we can um, fool ourselves into thinking that we've, we've been seeking God's will and it's led us to this, this decision or this, this viewpoint or something. But perhaps when we dig a bit deeper, it could be a, a point of preference or perhaps something that's convenient for us. So how do we make sure that we're fully convinced of God's will on a matter? So to recap again, we've already considered that his word must be the absolute standard for us. And if, if something is clearly stated in God's word, we know for sure what our stance should be, don't we? And we have a duty as Christians to obey that word of God above everything else. As David mentioned last week, even if it goes against the authorities of the world, sometimes we'll find perhaps that we have to go against the law of the land to, to serve God. It's, it's a rare occurrence, but sometimes it happens. So we're to prioritise God's word 
over all things. So that's number one. Number two is to know God. Um, we know, don't we, that some, some matters, some disputable things are not explicitly dealt with in, in Scripture. But we still have a relationship with God that we can call on to, to make these decisions. Um, we can consider God's will and we can make judgments for ourselves based on what we know about God. If we know a person, we have a good idea about what they like and what they dislike, don't we? And it's the same with God. If we, if we have a, a deep relationship with God and a closeness with God, um, we'll have a sense of what, of what he, his will is and what pleases him and what doesn't. So we have to ask ourselves, how well do we know God? And how is our relationship with God? To what extent is our will in tune with God's will? So we have his word. We have um, our relationship with God. And thirdly, we have the idea of conscience. So yes, we may disagree with each other on certain things. But what matters ultimately in the, in the um, sense of accountability to God is that we have to act in accordance with our conscience and not just what suits us best. Um, this is actually a, a, key, a key aspect of reconciling our differences with others because, as we've said, verse 5 has this idea of being fully convinced in your own mind. Um, and I think really the point there is to make up your mind about where your conscience takes you based on, on God's word and your relationship with God. And to act in line with it. And it's a good motto for life, isn't it? Listen to your conscience and do what your conscience tells you. Um, the idea of conscience actually is kind of pursued in some of the other verses. Um, in verse 14, um, Paul's saying that we're not to go against our conscience, even if what we're doing turns out to not be anything sinful in its, in its own right. In, in verse 14 we read, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone does regard something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. So perhaps counterintuitively, Paul is saying there that we're not to go against our conscience, even if it turns out that what we're doing is not sinful, is not against, against God's will. So, but that perhaps raises the question, Surely sin is sin, whatever we think of it. So it, again, is that taking us into the realm of subjectivity? Um, an example that I, I thought of that could kind of help with this idea. Um, imagine if you had someone over for dinner and you'd been told by someone else that they were a vegetarian. If you cared about that person's feelings and, and your relationship with that person, you'd make sure to prepare a vegetarian meal, wouldn't you? You'd make sure there was no meat. Um, and you'd go out of your way to, to make sure that that was the case. But then perhaps um, you're having the meal with them and, and then they explain that actually they're not a vegetarian, that that was a, um, a mistake by whoever had told you that. Um, it wouldn't really matter, would it? They would still appreciate the fact that you'd gone out, there, gone out of your way to accommodate what you thought were their, their needs. But on the other hand, if you had believed that this person was a vegetarian and you prepared a steak for them, it wouldn't matter that they weren't a vegetarian. They, they would be perhaps insulted or offended that you'd just done your own thing, even though you thought they were a vegetarian. So the point of all that is that God will take pleasure from our consideration of his will, even if we haven't understood it quite right. 
from his word. But on the other hand, if we do something on the basis that we just don't care what God thinks, it's wrong to do that, even if the act itself is legitimate and, and is not sinful in itself. So again, just a challenge for us really, to really be listening to our conscience um, and to ask the question, when we're faced with a situation where we're not sure what to do, are we guided by convenience or by personal preference or by laziness or by our spirit-led conscience? So three things there that can help us to, to be fully convinced of God's will. His word, our relationship with God and our conscience. And just again remembering that idea that um, we're accountable for what we feel, what we believe is God's will and, and to act on that accordingly. So some real practical things in there for us to, to consider as a church. Um, how to resolve differences between each other and how to be sure of God's will in our own, our own minds. Just to recap on a few points that we've considered. Um, Paul tells us that there will always be those who are strong in faith and who are weak in faith. It's not on us to judge different people on what they're doing or to look with contempt on anyone who's not doing it the way we're doing it. But it's our, our primary responsibility is to act in love. And to remember that whether we're strong in faith or weak in faith, we stand in Christ alone. And all of us should be fully convinced of our beliefs through reading God's word, through our relationship with him and through our spirit-led conscience. If we do disagree with each other, we perhaps we'll need guidance or teaching. And we shouldn't shy away from that. We should be receptive to when someone draws alongside us and tries to explain something more fully to us. But we should never be causing each other to stumble by placing unnecessary importance on what Paul calls disputable matters. <clears throat> As it says in verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. So let's always make sure that we're acting in love and consider considering each other's views. And then finally, let's be examining ourselves, making sure that our beliefs are based on our understanding of God's will. Because we can sometimes pretend or fall into the trap that our own personal preferences um, are just differences of opinion with each other. But actually, it shouldn't be anything to do with that, should it? It should be based on bringing it back to God and living lives based on his will. And we can be confident that if we're in his word, if we're pursuing a relationship with him, if we're listening to our conscience, and if we're acting in love with each other and drawing alongside each other, then God will take pleasure from that. Whether or not we have every single detail, absolutely correct. God looks at the attitude of the heart, doesn't he? And if we're acting in accordance with, with what we understand his will to be, then he'll take pleasure from that and he'll be, be blessed through that. Shall we pray?